Good morning to all of you, and uh, thank you for being here this morning as uh, we, we have kind of the official kickoff of our fall, and, and if you've been outside the last few days and seeing the leaves already turn, you know that, that it's time for summer to be over. Uh, football is starting today, and everything is starting back up, but, but today we're, at, we're starting a new sermon series, and that is a six-week look at the, the book of Titus, and we're going to jump right into it today. But when I was looking at this series, and it's a a book I've wanted to preach on for a number of years, and and one thing about Titus is that it's it's pretty quick and concise. I mean, the whole book is 46 verses, and there's so much truth and so much stuff you can can pull out of this. But as I was thinking about what to call a series like this, it's, it's the idea that the truth of God transforms us. There's a transformational truth that makes all of us different as as we know it. But before we get into this book today, and we're just looking at the first four verses of chapter one, just a, a bit of an overview and some context of, of what this book or this letter is. Uh, this is a, a book written to the, to the man Titus, who is a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. And this is one of three letters known as an, a pastoral epistle. Uh, first and second, Timothy is, are two of them, and then Titus is, is another, where Paul is really writing to this person who has leadership in a church or a variety of churches, and it's all about order and structure and how God's truth works in communities and in individuals. But where this guy is, where Titus is, is on this island of Crete. And, and it's just really interesting to know more about Crete and the culture and the location it's really in the heart of the Mediterranean. It's right below Greece, uh, directly south of Athens. And it's kind of the center hub uh, for those who are traveling by uh, ship from place to place. And this island itself kind of was notorious for its culture, which is that it was very selfish, very undisciplined, very lazy, easily corrupted. Uh, it, was, it was really people who just kind of lived in chaos, and now they're trying to build and maintain churches on this island, and, and, and Titus really has his work cut out for him. And that's the, the context of the subtext that you read throughout this book. But one of the main problems in these house churches that had already been developed, uh, Paul and Titus and others had spent some time there planting these house churches, uh, and now there's false teachers who are coming in and trying to bring in uh, these lies and these deceptions uh, based on their own uh, concept of, of their Greek gods or their own selfish desires. And they're trying to corrupt all of these churches to believe the lies. But the thing we know is that for a church and for Christians to be, exec- uh, to be successful is that the truth has to be at the center of what we do. And the truth always wins. The truth of God always prevails. And so Titus is now left behind. Paul had, had gone on in his journey, and Titus had this work cut out for him to kind of uh, provide structure and order to all of these churches and keep them healthy. But the common theme we see throughout all of the book of Titus is that this truth of God is going to transform you as a person. And, and churches are just made up of transformed people, And then healthy churches will transform culture, and transformed cultures will lead to a transformed world. But at the center of it all is God's truth. In the first four verses, we're really reading this concept of of knowing truth, knowing God's truth, and how that affects your life. 
And so I, I typically am not one to do a sermon on just the intros of letters, because at times I feel like it can kind of be a stretch where it's just like, you know, read Paul. I was like, oh, let's talk for 10 minutes about the Apostle Paul. And he says, I'm a servant of God. Let's talk about servant. For... But the reality of these four verses uh, carry with it a lot. It's the entirety of our salvation and, and, and God's truth and what that means in our lives. And it really is its, its own sermon uh, but before we read that today, I just want to pray uh, for us and pray for us as a church that, that God's truth really is at the center of all we do and at the, at the center of our transformation as people. So pray with me as we begin our sermon today. So Lord, we want to thank you for the good work that you are doing in us, the good work that is being carried on right now to completion until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Um, but God, we know that all of this is centered on you and who you are and your truth and your reality and your authority in our lives, that your Holy Spirit is the one that transforms us and shapes us and makes us into new creations and reborn in your spirit and in your name. And so God, I just pray that we as people would be centered around that, of who you are and, and your truth for our lives, that we as a church are centered on this truth that there's a radical submission to that truth, that we, we submit to all of who you are and all of who we are is built in your name. So God, I pray for all of us now as individuals in this sermon that we'd be people who just hunger uh, for your truth in our lives and that, and that we would see that just shape and, and transform who we are. So God, I pray for this message, that your words would really ring in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We have just the first four verses, if you're open to the book of Titus, that we're going to be studying today. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, in most letters in the New Testament, the intro is just going to be a couple of quick verses before he kind of gets to the meat. But in Titus, it's actually four of the 46 verses. 10% of this letter is in the intro. And there's really four important aspects we draw out of God's truth from these four verses. And in the first verse, we see that, that truth has a job. There's a ministry to truth. There's a purpose for truth in our life, and that is the transformation of believers, and Paul introduces himself as a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says that his job then is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And we see that, that Paul is given a job now because he knows the truth. His whole life has been transformed and now he's going in a direction he did not plan on when he was a kid. He did not train for as he was an adult 
that he was made an apostle of Jesus because of his confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus and the commission that he received to preach the gospel. His whole life had been transformed, and now Paul himself has a job that he wasn't planning on. But what we read here is that the faith of God's elect, and that's talking about anyone who has their faith in Jesus, that, that their knowledge of truth will also lead towards godliness or goodness. Truth has a purpose, and that's to transform us. And there's a few ways that, that this verse would be kind of rewritten by our culture. right? If, if, if we were the ones writing this, or if the, the broad culture were writing this, they'd say it a little bit different, and they'd say, it's really not knowledge of the truth, It's knowledge of my truth or knowledge of a truth. And then they might put a period after that. And it doesn't lead towards anything except for just the recognition of of my own truth. That's the purpose of life is to know my truth. And so we get this idea from culture that if you want to be the best version of yourself, then go on a mission, go on a journey to define your truth. And your truth might be different than the next person's truth. And that often comes through the advice of, of following your own inclinations and desires. Right? Just follow your heart and see where life takes you. And then you'll see who you are as you go along. And once you have knowledge of that, then the journey is complete. And that style of thinking is, is really saying in the end, submit to yourself as the highest form of authority in this world. And what you feel is what is true to you. And the end result of that is deception. It is hopelessness. It is despair. And even even the most confidence you can have in that style of life is going to leave you empty and broken at some point in your life. But we see truth works different than that. There is is the truth. There is God's truth that shapes us and transforms us, that has a job in our life. And sometimes knowing that truth hurts. Okay, knowing that truth is called conviction. All right, and it never feels good to be convicted, which leads to repentance, which leads to obedience, which leads to transformation. And so you can imagine this verse in the backdrop of the culture I just described on the island of Titus, where they were known for lying and deception and selfish living. Paul is saying the purpose of knowing the truth is to be transformed. And there's this obedience to that, even if it's different than your own desires if it's different than your own inclinations. God's truth is the truth. And truth is not to be defined as people. Truth is to be discovered as people. God has truth in your life. And that's why, if you've been around throughout this calendar year, one of the challenges that we have set out for all of you is that we challenge you that every day you give 10 minutes to God in which you read the Bible and pray. 
And however you want to use that 10 minutes is up to you, but I, I believe firmly that every single one of us, no matter how busy we are, no matter what kind of job we have or how many children we have, you have 10 minutes in your day. I know you do. Spend 10 minutes a day knowing the truth of God and then let that, that truth transform you and lead you into godliness as you grow to be like him in that. Truth has a purpose, and it's, it's not just growing in trivia, right? It's not just knowing the truth, but letting it transform you. And we use a curriculum uh, called D6 for our Sunday school, and they just released a quote this last week that that was perfect to share here. And said that we need to be teaching for the sake of transformation, not transfer of information, We need to be teaching for the sake of transformation, not the sake of transfer of information. And for all of us, as we learn the truths of God, let it settle deep in you, in your soul, and let it transform you. That's the purpose, that's the ministry of truth, is to shape you and make you new. And Paul moves on then into this next idea of truth, that there's there's a message embedded in the truth of God. And that is hope. That this message, this truth, knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, that we have this hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And for us English speakers, the the idea of hope is is sometimes hard to understand because it's watered down in our language. We, We think of hope synonymous with wishful thinking. Right, fingers crossed kind of stuff where you might say, I really hope it snows on Christmas this year. Right? I, I really hope my friend calls me. Or I really hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl this year, as Phil had alluded to. Now there's obviously then some foolish things to hope in. But, but hope itself in, in the Christian context is this unfailing confidence, this assurance that no matter what you're facing in in that day or in the season of life, that that you know that God said it, and if God said it, he won't lie. And that if you promised it, it will happen. There's a hope that we carry in, in all of this truth. All of truth is wrapped up in this idea of hope. And though we can make promises, and and our promises often fail or have to kind of be restructured as we go, God's promises remain absolute. And everything God says happens. Now again, this is completely different than the culture that's being written to here. Because Crete, which is very much into into the Greek gods, many gods, all of them different personalities, they, they believed that the chief god, Zeus, was born on their island. And so they, they, they really had an affectionate love for Zeus and this pride that Zeus was kind of their god on their island. And Zeus was known for many different things, but one of the things he is known as is, is the seducer of women. Okay, that's, that's who their god was. And, and sedu- seduction is really just a lie to people to get what you want, right? And so that's what their culture was built on, is that they're okay with lying, They were okay with doing whatever they needed to do to get what they wanted. Deceit. Selfish living. And so word, the word of people meant nothing to them. 
So this would have been eye-opening that, that God, the true God, does not lie. And he keeps every promise. And he promised for his people and for all people salvation. And all of that promise was solidified on the day that Jesus rose from the dead and, and, and conquered death. That was the proof of God's promise. And now we have this living hope in our life. And as we sang this morning, that, that the work is finished and the end is written. Jesus Christ, our living hope. That's the truth we hold on to that, that transforms us and brings us through anything in life that we know that no matter where you are right now, it's not God's final stop or final plan for your life. There's a confidence of the future of eternity that you can hold on to in any situation. And see, the world is not short on lies. Father, the father of lies is, is Satan, right? And he's the ruler of this realm or of this world. And, and so everyone lives with lies. And the problem is when you hold on to lies as truth and, and you deceive yourself into thinking this, this is your hope. But there's truth available to us that gives us that confident hope that we can bank on no matter what's happening. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of talks about this in, in, in Matthew 6. And he's really talking about where you keep your treasures, where your perspective is in life. And he kind of goes on this quick aside in, in Matthew 6, 22 and 23. And he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And, and, and in this culture, eyes really meant like how you see and perceive the world, how you distinguish what is true and false, how you discern what is good and evil. So he said, the, your eye, how you see the world is this lamp or this, this illumination into your whole self. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And, and light in this culture, again, means truth. So if you can see with a discerning eye, then you, your whole self will be ruled by God's truth. But then he says, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if you're not seeing the world right, if you're believing lies as truth, then your whole body is filled with darkness and it's, it, there's no hope. It's very grim for you. And this is the most alarming part. That if the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? What Jesus is essentially saying is that if you believe this lie is truth, this what you think is light in you is actually darkness, then how dark is that darkness? All of hope, all of real hope in our lives comes through knowing God's truth and believing that without a shadow of a doubt, everything that God says, everything that God has promised will come true. And anything else you may believe is light, but is actually darkness. How dark is that darkness? The true message of God's truth is hope. And Jesus is our hope, the anchor of our souls, the solid rock, the unchanging promise. There is no other hope in your life but Jesus. And then he goes on to say, really, the method of truth and, and why, the, why Titus is left behind, why it's important we talk about this truth in these churches, the method of truth is sharing or evangelizing that truth. 
And the word evangelism is scary. I understand that as this connotation that you are the person speaking with authority over people's lives, that you have all of the answers to all of their questions, and that you are their only hope of heaven instead of hell. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves with evangelism, and so it's this scary topic we don't want to talk about, we don't want to learn, we don't want to do it. But really evangelism is is just sharing the truth that you know. It's just sharing what you believe yourself with others. And now Paul talks about this, that at, this, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. And, and the appointed season here, I believe, is talking about Jesus coming to earth and, and dying on the cross and raising from the dead. That it had been, people have been looking for it for hundreds of years, hoping there would be this time that the Messiah would come. And, and God's perfect timing, Jesus came. But what's crazy to me, what I can't understand sometimes, is that Jesus did all of this work. He did everything that's necessary for salvation. And then he told to his believers, no, you go and tell everyone about it. All right, the the original apostles. He said he gave them a commission to to make disciples and to teach them everything that God had commanded them. And and that same commission, that same commitment is, is given to all of us. That when you believe in Jesus and and you know his truth, his command to us is is to now go and tell people about it. This is the vehicle or the method that he has chosen for the world to know his truth. And and some mornings, I I think it's a really good morning when I can find a matching pair of socks. You know, like, like really, like I'm part of that command. We're part of that command. And, And God has trusted us with this message of salvation. But this, there's three important uh, aspects of this verse that I think take some pressure off of us. Because if you think that the, that the fate of the world and everyone's eternity around you rests on your shoulders, the three observations here is that this is all in his appointed season, right? Jesus came when he was supposed to come. And, and we're going to have the opportunities to share when, when God wants us to share. That this preaching was entrusted to us. And this means that this isn't our message, this isn't our gospel, this is his, that he's entrusted to us, and all we have to do is simply do it by the command of God, our Savior. It's God's work, right? And he's, he's ordained these moments for us to share. He's giving us the power, he's giving us all ability and equipment to share this message. We simply just need to walk in obedience in what he has for us. It's not something we have to plan out every detail of and and, and calculate step one through step ten of how someone's to come to Jesus. You just share what you know when you have the opportunity to. So one of the goals we had this year is is this goal to reach 200 people with the gospel. And I have exciting news that in the last week this number jumped up a lot because I I spoke with the rest of the staff and realized there's there's a lot of work being done by our youth group. Uh, There's a lot of work that was done over VBS uh, to help us meet this goal. And as of right now, the best I know is, is that we're at 115 of our 200 people that we want to share the gospel with this year. But the, the purpose of this, yeah, let's, let's, ex- let's celebrate that, right? The purpose of this is not to reach some arbitrary number we've met and say, okay, we reached 200 people with the gospel. Let's just take church off the rest of the year and do something next year. But 
it's that there's this personal involvement from all of us, that, that all of us share the gospel with one person, and sometimes you, you can't plan for it. It just kind of happens. And so I'm going to be um, having Allison come up. She actually filled out this form that I encourage you to do, uh, to share your stories. And she filled out this form of, of, of uh, something that she's able to do at the University of Minnesota. I should be more clear, this is the distinguished Dr. Allison Steinke, uh, who works at the University of Minnesota. And so she had an opportunity to share the gospel with some of her colleagues in a way she didn't plan, but she was just obedient to what, what God had in the moment. So Allison, if you want to share for us. Yeah, I'd love to. So I've been inspired by my women's Bible study here, the Zoom women's Bible study. I see Penny here. I know my mom is watching, other members online right now, and others in the building too. But this is an invitation to invite all of you to join a Bible study. I know we've said it so far this morning, but this wouldn't have been possible without their encouragement and support because this past March, we had been sharing about the Reach 200 goal, kind of praying for each other, encouraging each other to share. And so I was invited to a social event at the University of Minnesota's Campus Club with some colleagues. And we had a great couple hours together just talking about students and classes and research. And then when we were saying goodbye, one of my colleagues had just been diagnosed with cancer. And so I'd actually had the women's Bible study pray for him and his family. And so I decided to tell him, uh, we've been praying for you, and I want to let you know that I'm actually leaving this event to go to my Zoom Bible study where there's going to be 12 women praying for you again tonight. And so you are covered in prayer, and we are hoping the best for your outcomes. And he was like, wow, well, I'm so blessed. Like, thank you for that gift. And he asked, what are you going over in Bible study tonight? <laughs> I was like, uh, the book of Romans, actually. Um, I'm leading tonight, so if you could wish me luck, that would be great. And I wish it had been something more light and fluffy like the Gospel of John, but I do appreciate the book of Romans because it's a well-constructed legal argument that's actually been used at Harvard Law School as how to articulate a like, best legal argument of all time. And he said, well, what exactly are you talking through tonight? Like, what does the book of Romans say? And I was like, this is my moment. <laughs> what does the book of Romans say? And I paused and looked around. There was three of my colleagues listening intently. And I said, well, in my mind, where do I start? Do I start with that encouraging verse from Romans 12 that I can't think of right now? Do I go to Romans 1 and start the Romans road, which is like the most depressing chapter of the Bible of all time? And I was like, Lord, lead me. And so I had to do the Romans road. And I said, actually, the book of Romans starts by saying that humankind is no good at all and can't do any good apart from Christ's grace and God's goodness. And they kind of looked at me and said, huh, what else does the book of Romans say? And I said, well, the book goes on to say that God's the source of where all hope comes from and that Jesus exemplified the virtues of love, joy, peace, and hope here on earth. Well, those are great virtues, one of my colleagues said. Yes, and I went on to say that Romans most importantly shows us how Jesus' selfless sacrifice on the cross is a model for how we can selflessly and sacrificially serve others. And the conversation just totally died in the water. And they were like, okay, well, uh, let's go find our cars. I think the elevator's over here, so it's been fun. Uh, have a great study, and great to see you. And my heart just sunk in my chest, because as a woo extrovert, I was like, oh, no, did I not do it right? Did I do something wrong? Are they ever going to talk to me again? But I knew what I, I was obedient to share what I needed to in that moment. And on my drive home, I called my husband, Chris, and was like, Chris, I just had a moment to share the gospel, and I think I totally fumbled, because they had no follow-up questions about the cross. I didn't even get to share about the resurrection, which is the greatest news of all. And I went to the Bible study and shared with the women again as well. And they encouraged me to say, Allison, 
The gospel is like opening a pickle jar. You helped twist it just a little bit, and down the road you never know kind of what seeds were planted from your conversation, and God opened that door, you walked through it, you were obedient. Praise the Lord. And so I still pray for my colleagues regularly. I actually talk to all three of them on Friday. And so I'm happy to, happy to say that I still have the ability to connect with them and pray for them and uh, share life with them. And it's just a blessing to have the women in the Bible study. We'll start up again in a week together and see kind of where we can go, if we can even beat that 200 number. But that's pretty much all I have to say about that. And thank you all for being inspirations and encouragements to me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Allison, for that. And, and I love that story. And by the way, there's like 20 more just like that uh, that had been submitted. And that's why I'm so thankful for you guys sharing those stories. Because it came out, a lot of these stories are like, I didn't know, I wasn't planning on this, but I decided just to kind of go there and share it. And, and some of these stories that you've submitted to me, like people have come to place their faith in Jesus. And others, you know, might be a similar response, but you don't know what kind of seeds are planted. The reality is that, that God has entrusted to you this beautiful message of reconciliation between man and God, and, and, and that this is the only source of hope. And what we read in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we, once we know this message and believe this truth, become the ambassadors or the representatives of Jesus to the world. And, and it says that it's as though God were making his appeal through us. It's, it's, it's beautiful and mysterious to me. It's, it's challenging, yet it's something I want to work for and, and strive for in life. And, and there's so many things that you can be good at uh, in life. And you, you might be the best at, at any in a number of things. Uh, but if you share the gospel, that's the most rewarding thing you can do in your life. And it makes the eternal difference for someone who hears it. So the big idea here is, is really take, take the pressure off yourself when it comes to being an evangelist, being one who shares, and know that God is the one that's working through you, but then be obedient to the opportunities that he gives you. There's one message, one gospel to share, and, and take advantage of the opportunities God gives you in that. And as we move on to the last and the final verse here, we, we really see this merit of truth, this reward of truth in all of this, is that it brings us into a place of unity and, and fellowship and, and family with one another. And, and, and Paul is now introducing Titus, who he's left behind on the island of Crete. And he, he, these words kind of really hit me yesterday, what's actually happening here. He says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith. And, and these words just come in, like they've been cycling through my mind all week. And yesterday, it finally hit me. This is, this is like a proud dad moment for Paul. And, and we don't know a lot about Titus. We know that, that Paul and Titus had been uh, partners for a long time. They'd traveled the world together. We don't know uh, how old Titus is. He could be the same age or even older than Paul. But, but Titus was someone that Paul had discipled. And had kind of, he'd seen him shaped and morphed and molded by the truth to become the man of God that he is, that he can trust him and leave him behind on this island. And Titus was a Gentile convert. Okay, this means that he came from the same Greek culture that he is now tasked to help transform through God's truth. And as this moment of him realizing, like, this is the person that I've invested so much time in and discipling, and now he's all grown up. 
and he's, he's left behind. He's my true son in the common faith. And you know, I've, I've had a couple of proud dad moments this, this summer as well. Um, you, you may be shocked to know that Mason's favorite things are uh, fishing and biking and watching baseball. <laughs> now, those are his favorite things because those are my favorite things. And I had these moments of seeing him kind of grow up. On, on the left there, you see uh, him, me and him at a baseball game. And, and this is the time in June where he's really starting to understand the facets of the game and how it works. And, and this is a game where the Twins won on a, um, a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth. And he, could, he understood it, and, and he knew what was happening, and he shared in the excitement. And what he said after that is, Dad, this game was 100% bonkers. <laughs> and it's, just, it's just that moment of just the swelling up of pride of, like, he, he understands baseball, and he gets it, and, and he's catching fish by himself. And we have a nine-year-old daughter who aren't, isn't quite at this level yet, but you know, she's independent, and she wants to spoon-feed herself and hold her own bottle. I'm working on her changing her own diapers, but she's not, not quite there yet. But you, you, I'm, I'm seeing this now as, as a dad. You see them grow up and mature and become independent. And that's what's happening here. Is this, this man who he helped see shaped by God's truth and grow up in maturity and discipleship is now seen as his true son in the common faith. And, and we have that with one another. When we, when we submit to God's truth and let it transform us, we, we become this family of which we can have this, this pride of, of not each other in, our, you know, in ourselves, but of what God does through us and how he changes us. And we have this unity that holds us together, that God's truth is, is so much higher than our wants and our desires, and our opinions, our expectations. We're united in his truth. And I was just looking at this verse, like, that's, that's what I want us to be about as people, as a church, is that we want to be spiritual parents of people that we invest so heavily in, that no matter what you're doing, no matter what capacity you are serving in in the church, that, that you truly want to invest in someone else and, and train them and develop them and equip them and send them. And for myself, that's what I've really felt the burden of this last years. I... You know, I, I feel that I'm called here until God calls me away, but I want to invest to the point that there are three people who could do this better than me from this con- congregation right now. That one day I can have that, that pride as a spiritual father and say, you're doing this great, and I think you can do this way better than me. That, that should be our lives as Christians, is, is to know God's truth and then to invest so heavily in those around you that you can have that proud mom, proud dad moment. Like, wow, they've really grown up in the Lord. And I think they're going to do this better than me. And I'm so joyful about that. Truth transforms us. But it also unites us around this, this beautiful purpose, this beautiful calling that's higher than any of the rest of us. And here, in the end of this, he's transitioning to this, this man who he's developed, and he's saying, I have all the confidence in the world in you to do what I'm about to suggest, which we're getting into next week. Very difficult and challenging things. But when we think about truth, don't, don't just think about how it transforms you as a person, which is very important, but how it transforms us as a community and how we work in that together. But 
I know we're running late here. We've got a Vikings game in a half hour, so I'm going to wrap this up. But I want to pray for us as, as we close today. So Lord, I just want to thank you for your, your precious truth, the single truth, and though it can be applied in our lives in, in, in different ways, that there's different ways that we serve. Uh, but God, there's, there's one gospel, there's one, there's one truth, there's one hope in our lives that brings us to your grace and peace. And so God, I just thank you that, that we can have this confidence knowing that you are the creator, God, that you spoke all things into existence. God, that you, you created us, you know us very well, every part of our heart and our soul. And God, you, you have this desire for us to, to know you, but you've made these promises for us that we can find eternal life through your son, Jesus. And it's just that simple, having faith in him and what he's done for us on the cross and that he's conquered death for us so we can have this eternal life in him. So God, I pray for anyone here who has not yet made that step of faith in you, that they would know that you are the way, the truth, the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. And so, God, I just pray that we can walk out of here with the the utmost of faith and confidence of who you are and what you've done for us. But I pray for us as a community, that we'd be rooted in this truth, that truth would be at the center of all we do as we see it just transform all of who we are, that we can be a part of your, your work of reconciliation both here and around the world. And God, in that, we just give you all of the glory and all of the praise for the work that you are doing. So God, may we just be a people confident in you and all you do. And we pray these things now in your name, Jesus. Amen.